Coming up this week on the Missions Podcast. What distinguishes, um, you know, missions from other kinds of ministry or does everything sort of have the character of missions? And I really think it does. You know, maybe we should be thinking about book ministries, about, you know, whatever ministry we're doing as missions, because we have a people we're going to and it might overlap with the same people that would offer in this phrasing, you know, thank offerings of gratitude. Conley Owens, pastor and author of The Dorian Principle. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And before we dive into today's show, remember to share the episode with a friend, subscribe, leave a positive rating and review in your platform of choice that'll help us get this content in front of others who can be blessed by it. And by the way, we value your feedback. If you want to share a suggestion or an idea for a guest or a topic to cover, alex at missionspodcast.com. And Scott, they can also email you at scott at missionspodcast.com too. We, uh, we gave you that email. Do you feel official now? I, I do. And I just want to instruct people, if you've got criticism, send them to Alex. If you've got encouragements, I would love to receive those. That's right. And in fact, all of the criticisms, just take them straight to um, paul.davis. Uh, just kidding. That's not happening. Uh, well, we are excited to bring our next guest onto the show. We could have done this in person or you could have, Scott, right? It's one of those, you know, things I didn't even realize until we're setting this up and realizing that our next guest, uh, Conley Owens, is a pastor here in the Silicon Valley. And we probably could have uh, had coffee and done this together, but it is also early in the morning here. So uh, maybe that wouldn't have worked out. But uh, Conley is a software engineer for Google. I wanted to say he's the guy that draws the little cartoons every morning on the Google front he page, but uh, I maybe he does, but it would be kind of, it's that's a, a secret, I think. Um, author of The Dorian Principle, which we'll talk about today, and pastor at Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church. And I, I found out even just the other day that uh, one of our pastors has recently even filled the pulpit over there. So I did not know about Conley. We have not met before, but we have a lot of, of, of things in common. And I'm so grateful for my brother here pastoring in uh, the Bay Area. So welcome, Conley, to the show. We're glad you're here. And we just let's just jump right in. What caused you to write a book? You're, you're, you're working as a software engineer, which is a demanding job. You're pastoring mm. a church in the Bay Area, which is a demanding job. Uh, and... So you and you wrote a book about money and finance and how church ministry is done. Why'd you write it? Right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it, it might be unfair to say that I wrote this while being a pastor. I kind of did, but this was also my MDiv work that I turned into a book. So a lot of a lot of the work was already done by the time I became a pastor. Uh, but yeah, just in general, I think a lot of my background as a software engineer caused me to be a little dissatisfied with the way some people use uh, technology and particularly copyright in order to uh, capitalize on ministry. And I had a lot of concerns about that, but was never really sure whether or not those were my own personal opinions or whether or not the Bible had something to, to say about it. And as I was kind of open to that, I began seeing more and more that the Bible actually has a lot to say about money and ministry. And I felt that it was necessary to, to collect all that in one place because I hadn't seen anyone else Capture it in a way that I quite found satisfactory. Mm. Well, let's start with the biggest question. The title of the book is The Dorian Principle. What is the Dorian Principle? Right. So uh, the Dorian Principle, well, the word Dorian is the Greek adverb that means freely. 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you received, freely give. Now, immediately after that, he goes on to say that a worker is worthy of his food. So it's a book about how do you hold those two things together? How do you mm. make sure that ministry is offered freely? Yet at the same time, uh, the worker is supplied because it sounds like Jesus is saying something on its face contradictory, right? That uh, the worker is not supposed to get paid. Well, the worker is supposed to get paid. And uh, Dorian principle essentially distinguishes reciprocity from co-labor. Reciprocity being where ministry is exchanged for money and co-labor being where people are working together for the sake of the gospel and others are supplying the finances while the minister is supplying the labor, the uh, the the expertise in the actual uh, on the ground work. So you, you go after reciprocity and uh, in, in a way that I was kind of surprised by, um, fr- frankly, um, and, and especially one of the things that I that I was um, I found myself wondering about. and I'd love for you to address it is. You know, you talk about reciprocity and how and I think you do a great job of like building up this idea of the co-laborer model and and really how everything we everything we give is to God, everything we receive is from God. Um, but you but there's a, a big emphasis on this idea that reciprocity is is bad completely. But but then and, and but there's there's one verse that I feel like it wasn't as clear to me and maybe I just am a bad reader, but. When, Anything's when possible. Paul, when Paul says uh, a laborer is worthy of his wages, uh, right. it does seem to kind of go against that. So how, how right. what do you mean when yeah. you say reciprocity is something to be concerned about? And 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 in what way or what ways not or as a pastor? So I'm a fully supported pastor by my church. I'm not bivocational. Um, in what ways should I not see um, my labor as receiving a wage? Right. So uh, when Paul says a worker's worthy of his wages, he's quoting Luke 10. And Luke 10 is the parallel passage to Matthew 10, 9 through 10, which is what I just mentioned. So the fact that a worker's worthy of his wage has to be held, you know, together with uh, giving freely. So, yeah, once again, how do you hold those together? There is there is a reciprocity that goes on, but it is not a reciprocity between people between the recipients of ministry and the minister as though the as though the recipients of ministry are customers who are paying for the gospel or paying for ministry in that context of Matthew 10 and even in Luke 10 uh, what was said before is that God is the lord of the harvest and he is sending his workers out into the field so the employer in that circumstance is the lord it's not people receiving from customers but employees receiving from their employer who is the Lord. And he has determined that he will supply at the hand of fellow laborers, at the hand of fellow servants. So that's, that's uh, yes, there is reciprocity in a different sense, but that's not happening at the moment of ministry uh, between the minister and the recipient of ministry. It's happening between the minister and God at the hand of fellow servants. Mm. So you already unpacked it a little bit. Talk to us more about what co-laboring is over and against this reciprocity model that we often fall into. And what does that have to do with missions? We're, we're talking about pastoral ministry, but it has a lot of relevance to missionaries, too. Right. So to address the, the first question, uh, what is co-labor uh, as opposed to reciprocity? Well, it might sound like what I'm getting at is semantics, because, you know, if you're receiving money, who, who's to say, you know, what this person's heart is? Uh, but there is a there is a very real difference. And Paul gets at that in 1 Corinthians 9. He gives a number of analogies. One of the analogies 
in the most uh, important analogy is to the priesthood, right? The priest received their tithes from the offerings. This is, he's talking about their, their right to receive. But if you consider what's going on there, the people, the Israelites, are not giving to the priests directly, right? They're giving to God. They're offering sacrifices, tithes, offerings to God. And then the priests receive of those. Now, if those things were given directly, uh, that would be considered idolatry, right? To make a sacrifice to the priest. And this is exactly what uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, attempted to do, right? They wanted the sacrifice before it had been given to God. So there's, there is a very real distinction, and the distinction is uh, of obligation. Do I feel indirectly obligated to the minister because, uh, because I am obligated to God who is the source of the gospel, or am I treating the minister as one who is himself the source of the gospel and therefore ought to be given to directly? And so the problem occurs when the minister sets him up as though he is to be given to directly as opposed to indirectly with the obligation being primarily, primarily to the Lord. So if I can just go a little deeper on that for a second, um, wh- how how does that flesh out like in your church? Like when you talk about giving at your church, how do you try to flesh that out in the way you communicate and talk about it? Right. So, yeah, recently I did a, a little series on giving and that was a big emphasis that this is not, you know, you're not customers coming here to, uh, you know, be part of this consumer uh, consumeristic transaction but rather you are co-laborers. And uh, one of the things that I found really encouraging about this is to consider what Paul said about his ministry. When he listed all the different struggles, trials, persecutions that he went through, uh, beatings, being shipwrecked, something he always lists in those in those lists is that he had to work with his hands, right? He considered manual labor to be one of the great trials that he had to under, undergo for the sake of the gospel. So when we forego some of the fruit of our labor by working with our hands and give that to the minister. We are taking part in the ministry, even if we aren't the boots on the ground, uh, actually preaching the gospel. So there is a, there is a very, um, egalitarian to use that word in the broadest sense, right? There's a very equalizing, uh, truth to this that, that puts us on the same level as ministers so that, uh, yeah, everyone can have that full satisfaction of doing that work. And that's and that's a, a great transition to the earlier question of what does this have to do with missions? The first verse I came across when I started thinking about this was John, uh, excuse me, third John seven through eight. It says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, not accepting anything from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to be fellow workers with people like these that we may, uh, uh, excuse me, therefore, we ought to give to people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Uh, when one gives to a, a minister, right, they are a co-labor with them. They are a fellow worker. And that comes right after Second John that said, if you give to, or excuse me, if you greet, do so much as greet a false teacher, you're taking part in their wicked work. So just like to support a false teacher, you would be taking part in their wicked work. To support a true teacher, you are participating in their good work. And notice, notice what was said there. Why should they be given to? Because they were not taking from the mission field, right? Because they weren't taking from uh, those to whom they were sent. So there, there is a real difference between that co-labor and reciprocity, even in that passage. Mm. But before we dive deeper on the applications of this to missionaries, because I think what you've essentially done with the co-labor model that you just articulated, you've basically articulated what a lot of missionaries already do, which is Absolutely. inviting people to partner with them in ministry. And, and I think you're showing the biblical foundations of that. Where I think this is controversial is 
thinking about how this applies to parachurch ministry specifically. One of the examples that you give in the book is when it comes to your prosperity gospel preachers, your word faith preachers, your your Kenneth Copeland's, your Joel Osteen's, right? Everyone expects that they're going to charge money as a gimmick for part of their ministry. Uh, but where things get uncomfortable is there are preachers that we all know and love and, and ministries that, that we would support and we would purchase their books. But there are books and sermons for sale um, from a nonprofit. So it's not for profit. And yet there's revenue there. And, and that's right. kind of called into question by what you're saying here. So uh, help us understand the implications of, of that, because I think that's where you get the most objections with this. Yet what you're saying for the missionary side is pretty uncontroversial. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, a quote that I came across this week that I thought was pretty apt for this particular discussion is what uh, uh, Charles John Ellicott said on Matthew 10, 8. If you're familiar with Ellicott's commentary, it's usually listed on the, you know, sets of free commentaries online. Um, uh, he says, when the kingdom has been established, the necessities of the case might require the application of the principle that the laborer is worthy of his hire and an organized system of stipend and the like, 1 Timothy 5.18. But the principle of giving freely in this sense is always applicable in proportion as the work of the ministers of Christ has the character of a mission. They must proclaim the kingdom till the sense of blessing it has brought shows itself in the thank offerings of gratitude. Now, he doesn't go to that in detail, but really... The, uh, and that's kind of the purpose of my project is what what distinguishes, um, you know, missions from other kinds of ministry or or does everything sort of have the character of missions? And I really think it does. Mm. Originally, I thought about framing uh, the book in terms of missions, especially since I had first come across Third John. You know, maybe we should be thinking about book ministries, about, you know, whatever ministry we're doing as as missions, because we have a people we're going to and it might overlap with uh, the same people that would offer, you know, in this um, in this phrasing, you know, thank offerings of gratitude. But let's not confuse the two. Let's not charge them and then call that a thank offering of gratitude. Let them actually partner with us uh, as a as a thank offering of gratitude. So uh, I, th I think that's the connection that we need to be thinking that we are in all these ministries, whether it be parachurch or anything else. Now, the reason why parachurch ministries come up in the book is because they're more prone to temptation since the church itself already has a, a revenue model. Every week you have the voluntary giving of the saints where we're all working together. Parachurch ministries don't have that. And so they have to get more creative and have more opportunities to, to violate the biblical ethic. Um, but yeah, these are some of the considerations. Now I've kind of gone around in a circle, but uh let me know if there's a if there's a good follow up on that question. You, you kind of snuck that in to violate the biblical ethic. So you're you're kind of pulling no no punches with this. Do you see any 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 gray area here on this? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of gray area. Um, and I just to say up front, I don't think the, the gray area invalidates any of this. Right. I, people who come from a reform background, for example, uh, all agree on um uh, the regulative principle of worship, right? That there's this difference between the elements of worship and the forms of worship and the elements shouldn't be changed. You know, we shouldn't be adding things like liturgical dance. Um, we shouldn't be removing things like prayer. Those have to be fixed, but the, uh, but the forms of worship can change, right? Whether you stand or you sit, you know, things like that. Yet they disagree on what those things are, right? What are the forms? What are the elements? Uh, you know, 
but no one no one thinks that invalidates the principle in the same way there's a there's a lot of gray area here part of the reason why i don't go too deep into application in the book is because i don't want people to get the wrong impression that I'm stating these things so dogmatically that uh, they disagree with the principle when I believe the principle is very sound. But my take on the particular applications may be a bit off. And so for for one example, you know, I think that this this applies to anything that's that's proclaiming the gospel or directly attending to the gospel. Where that line is, is, is hard to determine or what is ministry, right? If I give you a birthday card, uh, that's not ministry. Now, if I put a Bible verse in it, that, that's still not really ministry. You know, the, the essence of what I'm selling is a birthday card. So that's, I think it's uh, perfectly appropriate for me to sell birthday cards with a Bible verse in it. Now, let's say I put two Bible verses in it. Now, let's say I put 100 Bible verses in it. Now, let's say I, I add a second page, you know, and then a third page and the fourth page. And then before long, it becomes a whole Bible. Like, at what point am I, am I selling you the gospel, whereas I wasn't before? Um, I, I don't know. Those are stoic ship of Theseus kind of questions I can't answer. But so there's there's definitely gray areas. But uh, we need to we need to have a serious consideration of whether or not something's ministry. And then and then because of that, whether or not it ought to be sold. Yeah, I have so many, so, so many questions and ways <laughs> I think that could go. But I, I think we probably should leave that for for another for another time. Sure. Yeah. Sorry if I'm opening up too many cans of worms, but. I, I think our listeners can can check it out and, and make some of those decision decisions for themselves rather than going down all my endless rabbit trails that are probably only interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I obviously these kind of things do come into play on the mission field. You know, sometimes you have mission teams that you're dealing with people in poverty. And so they're maybe they they, you know, like the the organization is even hiring uh, guys or, or, or women to do ministry. Um, and maybe this can apply in some ways on how we think about even that. But what, what would you say in general to parachurch min, to ministries? What, what, what can parachurch ministries uh, learn from the way missionaries approach fundraising? What would you say to parachurch organizations that, hey, these are what missionaries have done. Here's what we can learn from them. Right. You know, that whole, uh, I think is the way Alex had said it a minute ago, you know, finding partners to partner with them and then uh, offering the gospel freely that it's a very simple model, right? There's not a, there's not a whole lot to say other than uh, yes, you should learn. Uh, there is a, there is a missional character to any ministry and it should have that understanding that the, the recipients of ministry uh, are not necessarily the partners of ministry, right? They should be, they should be distinguished, not necessarily personally so that one person can't be both, you know, you might be both a recipient of ministry and a partner, but um, as the recipient, they should not be being charged for the ministry. And as the partner, they should definitely be giving and co-laboring uh, with thankfulness, with gratitude to the Lord, who is the source of all good things. You know, another question would be, uh, there have been some comments, Tim Keller made some comments last year in the summer. Um, the idea of the missionary support model, Conley, is not in itself completely without controversy. I, I think we kind of passed that over. You have someone who would say that the ideal model is that all missionaries can be funded centrally and, and salaried and not have to individually raise support. Um, there's some that would advocate that. And certainly people that are a part of an organization that has a model like that, there there is a blessing in that, that we can't ignore the, 
there's at the very least a convenience factor there, and, and God provides. Um, that's one way Justice of doing things in general. Um, what does Tim that Keller mean? made some comments to the effect of, "Well, but for the you know, you're dealing with people that have what would you um, connections say to, to, that to would, family wealth, and if you're, you're dealing within a certain subculture and people that are more affluent, then the idea of individual support raising for a missionary." Um, could could be very easy for someone with those connections and very difficult for someone without those connections. Of course, that that opens up a, a host of other conversations about how we how we just think about issues of of, of justice in in general and, right. and what does that mean? What does that not mean biblically? But for the co labor model specifically, what would you say to someone that would that would question the fairness of it? Is it preferential in that way? Right, that's a good question. And uh, yeah, we could go we could go different directions with that because I think. A lot of where that comes from is assuming very connectional models of ministry, which uh, may be assuming too much. But mm. uh, as far as the just thinking about that question in a different way, someone might say, well, you know, if you're saying that I can't charge for this particular ministry, then you're saying that I shouldn't be, be receiving as much as I am. No, I I'm, I'm, don't think I am, because I, I do think that ministers ought to be supported. I do think they ought to be supported typically better than they currently are. And if we could just um, develop a culture around these kinds of partnerships, I think it would really thrive. I do think, uh, I mean, you see that already with the advent of crowdfunding services, people's willingness to give to uh, missions and uh, ministries and, uh, you know, even Bible studies on YouTube, that kind of thing, right? Things that they find uh, especially valuable. Uh, there is a real willingness there. And on top of that, there's uh, some spiritual values that are that are brought into the picture. You know, there's accountability. There's prayer. When I, when I give to something voluntarily out of a desire to support that thing, you know, I I feel an obligation to pray for that person. I feel an obligation to hold them accountable. I'm not going to keep supporting them if they start going off the rails. Uh, whereas, on the other hand, someone who purchases a product, right, they don't feel that same kind of obligation. When I when I purchase, uh, you know, different kinds of ministries, books, uh, et cetera, you know, I don't feel a I don't feel an obligation to pray. I don't feel an obligation to mm. um, to hold that person accountable. Uh, so there's just a lot that would. Uh, I think really thrive if we develop the culture of this. And I don't think that um, I, I do think that some ministries would be less supported and that might be for the best. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do think that worthy ministries would be supported possibly even more. You know, as you were saying that, you know, I sometimes basically I've, I've detached myself from some social media, especially relating to Christian things. Cause I just find myself frustrated at guys that I really know and love. And then I'm just, I have I have to I have to repent of my heart toward them because of things I see, you know, and uh, and especially I was wondering why you unfollowed me, Scott. I didn't unfollow you, but I <laughs> but I did block. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I did <laughs> you just <laughs> muted me. There's no way to know. <laughs> I just don't check it, so I have no idea what you said the last few days. But um, uh, but I do see sometimes a tendency, or at least it's a suspicion I have that that sometimes when you are are in like maybe maybe this isn't how you would use the partnership model, but like when you are connected in such a way that like for instance in America right now where we see like huge political movements and they're really tied to spirituality and like every little camp within Christendom seems to somehow be tied to some political person or not and uh, and whether you take a stand for it or how much you take you get crucified for it and so sometimes I watch certain guys that I've known a long time and they're 
they're making these statements and stands on things that are just like really out of touch with, I think, anything dealing with the gospel. And I wonder, like, are they pandering to a constituency <laughs> that they need to appeal to? Like, are there some dangers in how we view partnership even possibly? Like, it seems to me when I read, like, I didn't read the whole book. I apologize. But I did read some sections once I realized, hey, I could get it for free on PDF. Um <laughs> Uh, once I realized that I read some of those, those parts and I'm like, Hey, the, the idea of understanding, like I'm giving directly to God and God is the one providing for my needs as a minister. That is, I think, super helpful. And re- just a reminder of something I knew, but I just needed to be reminded of it. But, but it does seem like on the other side of seeing the partnership, there could be some idols there that pop up. Do, are you, are there any concerns for you about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. This is no silver bullet to, to cure uh, any kind of woes in ministry. There's, there's always going to be uh, teachers who are popular uh, that shouldn't be popular, and and people will support them. Uh, this is this is no way around that. Uh, but it is it is a bit of a deterrent, right? This is uh, an increase of accountability that would be had by embracing this. Um, yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I don't propose any silver bullets, but. Um, I do think that there would be value in this. And I, I don't see that as a what you're describing as something that would be increased. Right. That's something that already exists, that you have people who are popular, who shouldn't be, who are supported uh, more than they ought to be. For sure. You know, one of the things you said earlier, Scott, is that this opens up a host of implications. There's a lot of questions. That I, I don't think those are irrelevant. You know, so questions of what what does this mean for Christian publishing? What does it mean for a missionary who might not just be doing traditional support raising, but but fundraising? Maybe I'm going to sell bracelets or, or something, right. like, you know, shirts or what, whatever that works. And we live in an economy where you have to give value to receive value as well. Um, and and Conley, you know that well, working for Google, right? How how so many uh, organizations that are profit or nonprofit. Uh, operate in that way today. So there's a lot of implications and ways that you can kind of tease this out. And so I know you're a part of a group of people on Facebook that are trying to tease that out right now. So, so if somebody was interested in not only reading the book, but then interacting with other people and, and just trying to learn, all right, what if this is true biblically, what do we do with this? How could they discover that group and get their hand on on the book and other resources? Yeah. So the Facebook group is called Money and Ministry. Uh, it also in parentheses afterwards says Dorian discussions. But if you search for money and ministry, you should be able to find it. The book is available at the Dorian Dorian is spelled D-O-R-E-A-N. And uh, yeah, it's available in a lot of digital formats, PDF, EPUB. Uh, it's just there on the Web page. There's an audiobook. Uh, it's on Kindle. But on top of all of that, uh, the publisher even covered shipping for the book. And the book is free. The paperback is free. So you can order it directly from the website and uh, you won't have to pay for the book or for shipping. So you're practicing what you preach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the publisher, uh, First Love Ministries, they've been operating this way since 2006. So uh, they were very happy to partner with someone very who was cool. uh, who was uh, codifying, I suppose, uh, the principles that they had been operating by for quite a while. So this is way is a little bit off topic. But since we have you here and, you know, you were very efficient in your answers, I, I want to just ask you one more thing. Yeah, Absolutely. So you're you're a software engineer at Google. Everyone is it's one of the few companies in the whole world that everyone's heard of. Uh, it's you know it's uh, it's ubiquitous in our culture. And uh, I'm sorry, he, what company is this? <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, 
an article that came out just recently actually highlighting a TV show. Uh, I can't remember the, actually the name of it. Maybe it's called like Silicon Valley or something like that, where it was a whole episode around uh, around a, a an employee at this tech startup that got outed. And he was outed not he was outed as a Christian. Um, maybe you can just, you know, I, I would love to hear maybe just one answer about that. You know, um, what is it like being a Christian in the tech world and not just a Christian? Like, you know, what, what how are you received as a pastor? Because, uh, I mean, I'm a pastor in Fremont and it's like people have never met a pastor. Most of them have not met Christians. It's such a cultural difference out here. And I'm sure it's even more so in Google. Just tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Sure. Yeah, I think the I think the joke in the scene was this person was outed as a as a as being both gay and a Christian CEO of a oh, okay. company. And and the joke was that the person who outed him was felt really bad because he thought he had outed him as being gay, but no one cared that he was gay. They only cared that he was a <laughs> that he okay. was a Christian. That's what upset them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it is. Uh, I, I see a lot of other Christians um, really hide it because they're afraid of what other people will think. But I, I think that people are more concerned than they ought to be. I, I try to not intentionally wear it on my sleeve, but, you know, just to be open and honest about uh, my beliefs. And I've I've found that it's people are more open to talking about these things than uh, than we initially assumed. At the same time, mm. yeah, this is certainly a uh, uh, a bluer state than uh, than most. <laughs> and uh, it is a it is an interesting place to be a Christian. It's a it's an incredible mission field, though. Uh, that's that's why I'm here is because uh, I believe this is a, a very, um, very important mission field where we're more exciting to be at this point in time. I mean, uh, Silicon Valley is in the news all the time. There's all kinds of unreached people groups from all over the world represented right here. Uh, yeah, if I if I did not feel that way, I would cash out of this area and and move back mm-hmm. with uh, my family on the East Coast. But uh, for now. Uh, I feel very called to this area because of its particular character. Mm. Thanks. That was helpful. Yeah, that's encouraging. And, and you're not advocating that everyone should be bivocational as you are. That That's not no, a part of, of yeah. the book. That's uh, yeah. And that is a, that is a danger because I am a bivocational minister and I'm, <laughs> and I've, I've uh, published this book that's making some statements about uh ministry fundraising. So a lot of people assume that I'm saying that, uh, you know, ministers shouldn't be paid because I'm not paid, uh, which is not the case. As a as a Reformed Baptist, I subscribe to the the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, it has a section in there, 2610, I believe, uh, that talks about how ministers ought to be supported full time. I would love to be supported full time. I would love to do uh, ministry full time. It's just not an option for our church right now. Not mm. a uh, not a very viable one anyway. So um, hopefully, Lord willing, in the future, uh, but not at this moment. Well, and, and we would pray that your church would uh, overflow in thankfulness and, and with time would be co-laborers with you in your ministry, right? I, I think this has been a helpful conversation. I'm hoping that for a lot of people, it creates just as many questions as maybe it answers, because I think that's the goal is take a look at the book. The website for it again is, is it DorianPrinciple.com? The DorianPrinciple.org. 
thedorianprinciple.org. We encourage you to check it out, take a look at it, and thank you today for listening to the Missions Podcast. You can get more content at missionspodcast.com or abwe.org slash podcast. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. Remember to subscribe and leave a positive rating and review because that helps other people discover the content and be blessed by it. And we rely on the support of generous givers to the mission of God. You can go to missionspodcast.com slash support to co-labor with us. And we're excited for the privilege of bringing you this content. And until next week, we'll see you then.